This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Showtime, folks. It's episode 51 of Game On here on the Empty Defense Podcast Network. I'm Johnny Montabano. That's Hank and Victor representing both halves of Madison Square Garden again today. Hank, good to see you, my friend. It's been a couple of weeks. How you doing? Yeah, man. Long time no see, but it's good to see you again. Great to have you on the show. It's going to hopefully go back to normal, but I'm doing all right, even though this scene right over here is giving me stress, nausea, anxiety, all the above. But you and I will talk about that a good amount, and you've probably seen that on a lot of the stuff that has been posted on the game on Instagram page. But, Johnny, how's it going? I'm doing great, Hank. It's good to be back on with you, and I do want to thank Tom Obano filling in for me the last two weeks. I haven't been away. I just ended up also making a, a little bit of a swap where I filled in for Nick two weeks ago on Empty the Bench, and then I filled in for Tom last Thursday, and all three of us will be back together again this upcoming Thursday. In fact, in a little over 24 hours from now. So I do want to thank Tom for that. But uh, yeah, I'm doing great, Hank, as we start to wrap up the month of April. And now this is a time of the year where we start getting all four pro sports into the course of the conversation in different ways. And boy, we have a lot to get into again today. And so I'm looking forward to it, discussing with you, especially about our two local winter sports teams in the playoffs and a lot of other stuff. And of course, folks, we want to hear from you as well. Plenty ways, plenty of ways for you to get aboard as well. First and foremost, follow us across our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Twitter at game on ETB. We're on Instagram at game on underscore ETB. Our personal handles, not only scrolling on the bottom of your screen there, but also right below our names there. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ETB network, where if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. And as always, hit that notification bell so you know when all of our programming is going to be out. And I say that because we got a special uh, week this week here on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. And we also ha- are on several of your favorite audio platforms as well. So if you don't like seeing our little backgrounds here, you can uh, check us out on your favorite podcast platform at ETB Network where you can get all our shows as well. And Hank, as, I, as you said, you know, we got a lot to get into. We'll get into our Rangers our Knicks, we got actually a good amount of baseball to get into as well over the course of the show. But, you know, it's funny. We pushed the premiere date back a day this week, and it's a good thing we did because on Monday it finally happened. We had been waiting, it, I guess it's been about six weeks or so for this news to finally become official. Well, now it's official, and that is Aaron Rodgers is a New York jet. So we knew with, you're going to say something, go ahead. Yeah. And jet fans, I think can probably R E L a X. Although there may be one that's uh, behind the scenes right now that probably isn't feeling that way, but and, well, <laughs> yeah, and you know, we will get his reaction. We're talking of course about the one and only Nick Morgan. We'll get his reaction coming up on Thursday, so stay tuned for that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was uh, 6 weeks or so ago that Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show and announced his intention to play for the New York Jets and I know how Nick was feeling because him and I jumped on 
later on that day and did an emergency live stream about it. And I guess what's really been holding this up was really what we knew he was going to become a jet at some point. The question was really going to be when and for how much, and it ends up happening the week of the draft, which I don't think is really a surprise to me. This was either going to be either be draft day or earlier. And it comes the week of the draft. And then the next part's going to be, all right, so what do you give up for him? And it turns out it was a lot for Aaron Rodgers. So the Jets got Rodgers. They also swapped first round picks with Green Bay. So they so the Jets get the number 15 pick in this year's draft as well as a 2023rd fifth round pick, which is number 170 overall. And Green Bay gets the Jets first round pick, which is number 13. The their 2023 second round pick, which is the the first one of the two that they got. Remember, the Jets did make the trade with Cleveland with uh, Elijah Moore and got back to back picks in the second round. So they got the so Green Bay got the first one, number forty two, on that. They also got a sixth round pick, number two hundred seven this year, and they also got a conditional twenty twenty four second rounder, uh, which could which could become a first rounder if Aaron Rodgers plays sixty five plus percent of the snaps. And, you know, if you're the Jets, you better hope that's the case that he plays at least 65% of the snaps this upcoming season. So pretty yeah, much that him or, either him or, uh, or uh Stifler's son that would be the starting quarterback. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or really we're talking about maybe the likes of Tim Boyle or somebody like that for Grain gang green. So there's Tim a lot Boyle. of things to discuss from green Bay side, from the Jets side, I guess, Hank, really before we, uh, before we go into any more, who really is the big winner in all this? Is it Green Bay? Is it the Jets? Is it both? Is it neither? What do you think? I'm going to say both are probably true because I feel like the draft picks, I see you're laughing because you've heard me use that phrase a lot. But Well, I, I borrowed feel- a lot from you. So it, you're, you and Tom are the creators of that. I just follow along, but go for it. Well, I would say the Packers could win because – the Jets season, and here goes another hanky one again, could very well be a mystery box. <laughs> yes. You don't know what you're going to get. They could do so horribly that that pick turns out to be very valuable. Or they could do so well the pat the pick might not, might not mean that much. But regardless, I still say that the Jets took the mystery box. And why is that, you might ask? Well, Make no mistake. Aaron Rodgers is a fantastic quarterback. And do you want to know a sad fact? Aaron Rodgers has statistically done better and accomplished more than every single quarterback that that franchise has had. Four MVPs, a Super Bowl, and many like 3,000 passing yard or a good like 3,000 passing yard seasons. I mean, I can understand why there would be Jet fans that are sad, but when you really look at all he's done and all the other, compared to all the other quarterbacks the Jets have had, yeah, it kind of is bittersweet when it reminds. Excuse me. Excuse me. It is kind of bittersweet when you're reminded about that fact, but there's also a chance he could be a mentor to Zach Wilson. I mean, who knows? Maybe Wilson takes some time sitting behind and learning from a good quarterback. Maybe he really is the franchise quarterback, but the idea that you're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers when you already have a young quarterback, it 
is kind of ridiculous and I really don't think that Zach Wilson's going to be the long-term starter for them really given all that he's been going through given how the coach didn't really like the way he talked to the media and not to mention this isn't the first time the jet this isn't the Jets first rodeo with an aged quarterback except the only difference is this one took fake picks as opposed to dick picks so there's that <laughs> yeah so Let's let's see how I want to do this here. Well, first of all, I will say also, this was a good nugget from Ian Rappaport on Tuesday. For his 2023 salary, the Jets picking up Rodgers' already guaranteed option bonus of $58.3 million means that it converts to a signing bonus for cap reasons. So it creates $43.7 million of cap space, making his 2023 hit just under $16 million. Now, there's no question Jets needed to make this move because – they got set. They had seven wins last year, and that was with, let's be honest, crappy quarterback play. But there's a few. There's some risk involved with making this trade. Number one, with Aaron Rodgers, you know he's a great quarterback, no question. Hall oh yeah, there's another thing I didn't mention. Sorry to cut you off there. That's okay. His health. Last year he was not healthy. How do we know that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to decline? I, I don't know if I took the words right out of your mouth. I, I that's part of where I was going to go at with that is that. He is 39 years old, and, you know, he was banged up last year. He still ended up putting some good numbers together, but he also needed, you know, if it wasn't for Christian Watson coming along last year, Green Bay probably is not playing relevant football into week 18 of the season last year. But, you know, you're taking now with 39-year-old QB, and I'm not saying that he's Russell Wilson, but if you remember what Russell what happened with Russell Wilson, he went from the NFC West to the AFC West, an entirely new conference, new division, all that stuff, and he was awful last year. Now, Rodgers is going from an NFC North that really he had favorable matchups against the Bears and the Lions, except this last year where the Lions beat them both times. But now he goes into an AFC East that's got, you know, Buffalo, who's still very good, Miami, who I think is going to give them a, a lot of trouble this year, and New England, who I don't think is good, but always gives the Jets fits. That's a big risk. You know, him being 39 years old is a big risk. The other thing, too, is, and this is not being talked about enough, at least in the, in the hours and early days since this trade, the fact that the Jets now move back two spots in the draft is also going to put them at a risk for not being able to maybe get the offensive lineman that they still need for this team to be complete. Because that is something, too, the Jets had no offensive line last year. You know, there's no question they've got the receivers. You know, they've got Garrett Wilson. They've got Brees Hall running back. But, I mean, receiving was. You've got Garrett Wilson. You've got, you know, now you brought him Cole Harmon. You have Alan Lazard. So your receivers are there. You've got Brees Hall in the running back, who was probably going to be the offensive rookie of the year last year before he got hurt. So your production on offense, your receivers, your running back, it's there. But that offensive line is still a big risk. And, you know, a guy is 39 years old and going into an entirely new system, a new system and new um new team, new conference, new division, a, a very tough division, competitive one. There's a lot of risk involved. But at the same time, I think the Jets needed to do this because they were a quarterback away. Now, my other question to this too would be, Hank, how long is this window with Rodgers? To me, I think the max is two years. And this is an awful yeah, I would agree. to give up for, for two years. And once again, that's like I said, the Jets are essentially taking the mystery box. 
Yeah. Now, I think that Buffalo is not as good as they were last year, but I think Miami's going to take a step up. I think now if Rodgers is healthy and stuff, Miami I think you've got to step up. I have them winning the division, but that's story for another day. Well, if even if Tua gets hurt, you know, bringing in Mike White with that team, and also, you know, they brought in Jalen Ramsey, so defensively they're still good. The Patriots are still very good defensively too. Just offensively, I don't really know what they are. I mean, there was even rumors that they were looking to shot Mac Jones, which I don't know if anybody's going to really take. Yeah, but, Mac Jones is dead. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to go with that. But the thing with the Jets now is now they have their QB, but does it translate into nine wins, nine or ten wins? Does it translate them into a wild card? Because now with Rodgers coming along, the other thing this does too is it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on red, on head coach Robert Sala. Now, he was already under a tremendous amount of pressure going into year three. And again, not being in the playoffs with, you know, his comments from last year at certain points. Now you've got the QB. I mean, what happens if the Jets go out there next year and they start one and three or one or four? You know, this is something I brought up with Nick during our live stream when this happened, when the, when Rogers made the news on the McAfee show. If the Jets go one and three, one and four, and you have rumblings, you know, if the fan base is getting very uh, desperate, if, you know, they're getting angry because, you know, of their start, if, Solid gets terminated, then you're talking about you know your buddy Nathaniel Hackett getting put in there as the interim head coach. Jets country take flight. Oh boy, I tell you, I mean, that's that's all this that has to be transpired. Uh, I don't think this is like the same old Jets where they're getting a big name QB like they did with Favre or they did the name thing with Tebow. I think the Tebow thing was not for football. I think that was just for business. I think the Favre thing was both. I think this is for both because obviously, look, you I mean you've got multiple New York teams in the in the winter playoffs and you've got baseball going on. You've got the draft coming up on Thursday and this is the lead story on a lot of the shows. So, we know how Woody Johnson likes to get the attention and stuff, but I think this is also you know, the missing piece. But again, the risk is 39 years old, hasn't done this in this division at the most competitive division. I mean, you can make the case Hank that in his football career this is probably the toughest most challenging division that Rodgers is going to face yeah I would I would definitely agree with that and not even just the division I mean you still have the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals to name a few that are among the contenders of the AFC and Really, when you look at what's happened over the past few years, that whole conference has has been far superior to the NFC. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of competition. And not to mention, the Ravens could be in the picture if, by some miracle, they're able to get a deal with Lamar Jackson, even though you know my stance on Lamar Jackson. I'm not as high on him as most people, but I have to put them, them in there. And obviously there's the Steelers. So yeah. Oh, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Jacksonville Jaguars who might very well be taking a step forward because you know how high I am on Trevor Lawrence. I think he's definitely their franchise quarterback for sure. Yeah. no, That's another good point is look at all the quarterbacks, not only now, in the NFC, in the AFC East, but the entire AFC conference. I mean, so I don't think the Jets become the, the favorites to win the division. I think this, well, helps me put it this way. I would say the majority of the elite quarterbacks are in the AFC. Yeah. I, 
I mean, if you look at the NFC right now, who would you say that's elite? You would say Jalen Hurts, maybe? Possibly. Dak Prescott? Mm, 50-50? Overrated. Yeah. Um, Daniel Jones is not elite. He's successful in the system that he's in. Washington, we don't even know who the QB is going to be. Kirk Cousins? Yeah, Washington is a mystery box. You're right. Uh, uh, In the... Would you say Kirk Cousins in the with the with the Vikings? Uh Kirk Cousins, I would say mid. 50-50, right? Justin um, Fields has potential. I will say that. But again, yeah, I don't know yet. Agree with that. And you know, it was it interesting. Depends on if the Bears ruin him like they've ruined all their other quarterbacks. Well, it's kind of interesting because you've you know, they brought in a receiver. They remember last year they traded for Chase Claypool. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they're trying to help him out his arm. Now Green Bay is gonna have Love Jordan Love there? No. Um, and by the way, I think they they got a lot in this trade. You know, that's the other angle I want to talk about real quick is Green Bay. But uh, Jared Goff, I don't think is elite, but he was very successful in the Lions system. And in the West, you've got possibly Brock Purdy with the 49ers. We don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of the year there. Matt Stafford, I'm not going to say there. Um, yeah, I would say Stafford. Stafford had his moment of glory. I think he's gonna. He's. Gonna... I mean, I'm. I'm just thinking about it right now. There really isn't anybody else because in the NFC South, there's really nobody. The best quarterback in that division is freaking Derek Carr, and even then, he's probably mid at best. Yeah, unless you know Carolina with the number one overall pick on Thursday drafts the right guy, and that that is something that has gone all over the place in the last month or so with, with who Carolina could possibly take at number one. So yeah, you're right. I mean, pretty much everybody is in the AFC. My point. Exactly. There really are not the closest quarterback that I think you could say is elite in the NFC is honestly, I would say probably Jalen hurts. Yeah. Who's just coming off his $255 million extension. So, in other words, once again, can I say it for the people, say it louder for the people in back? Mid. Yeah, you're right. But the Green Bay got a lot out of this trade. You know, there's been a lot. There was holdup for the month plus that has gone from Rogers' announcement to the the trade actually happening. And Green Bay was able to swap first-round picks, which I – I didn't think they'd be able to do that. I mean, I figured it was going to take at least their first round. And they did get the first of the Jets' second-round picks and also a couple of other ones, including a conventional pick that will probably turn into a first-rounder. So I think Green Bay actually made out great with this because we knew Rodgers wanted to move on, and they got a lot. They got a ton for him. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, Green Bay is going to be in rebuilding mode, which is a very unusual thing for them. But considering that Rodgers is now 39 years old, who has what, maybe one, maybe two great years left in him. Maybe that's being nice, two good years. They got a lot for a 39-year-old. I mean, yeah, no, 30, that is a weird position because let me expand on what you just said. 30 consecutive years of quarterback stability. This is what the Packers had. Ever since Don Mikowski got hurt, kind of a forgotten quarterback there, the Magic Man. I don't know if you've seen his uh, long mullet, mullet mm-hmm. with blonde hair back in the 80s. Ever since he got hurt, Brett Favre took over, and he didn't sit out a game until he was in his early 40s. And then 
obviously the Packers got tired of the will he won't he with Aaron with uh, Brett Favre. Kind of ironic how we're saying that today. Yeah, they're kissing with Aaron Rodgers and Johnny. I'm pretty sure there have been only two years where Aaron Rodgers really missed a good amount of time. And one of those years, he somehow still led them to the playoffs because the NFC North was, shall we say, mid. Yeah. There I go again with that word. Folks, if you want to do a drinking game, take a shot every time I say that word. You're welcome, America. Oh, we're going to be hung over already. And we're only about 20 minutes into the show. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing I stopped drinking. So there you well, go. And you know what? It's, it's airing at 7 o'clock. So if you're seeing this for the first time at nighttime, you're okay. But yeah, and think about how many teams in the NFL, Hank, in that amount of, in general have had two quarterbacks for that long a period of time. It's, you know, New England. You think of New England, but it was it was only Brady. You want to say maybe Dallas with Romo and and Prescott. Perhaps, but even Prescott's missed time, so that's not really the case. I mean, you not really. Um, you could say the 49ers a while back with Montana and Young. Yeah. Although they were competing against each other for a good amount of time. Yeah. Um yeah, I yeah, I really can't think of any others because I know the Cowboys had stall back for a while, and I know he had his controversies with Craig Morton, but then Danny, even though Danny White was solid, I wouldn't really call Danny White an elite quarterback. That was the guy they had in the early 80s. So, yeah, it's very rare when a team is able to get a quarterback and replace him with a good one. And Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe, that's a good one. People forget how good Drew Bledsoe was for the Patriots in the 90s. He was really the first true franchise quarterback they had. Yeah, that's right. So I think at the end of the day, if the Jets are able to get into the playoffs to make a deep run, then they did win this trade. But there's a lot of risk with them making this move. And they still have to go out there and get an offensive line and stuff. And the risk of of swapping those two first-round picks is there could be a couple of offensive linemen that go off the board before. And we don't even know if there are going to be trades, if teams are going to trade up above them. That certainly is a possibility. I, I mean, I'm still looking at possibly at Arizona at three. I mean, now, they're not going to trade up for an offensive lineman. But there, you could definitely see some trades. If you remember last year during the draft, there were a lot of trades in the first round. I think there was like six or so. So it's definitely a possibility that we could see some moves up ahead of the Jets at 15. The one other, And one last thing I'll say about this trade, too, is if you look at the Jets' opponents for 2023. Now, we don't know the schedule yet. That usually comes out sometime in May. But the Jets' opponents this year, their home opponents are Washington, Philadelphia, Atlanta, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Texans, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Patriots. So outside of their of the three um, AFC East teams, you've got Philadelphia, who just went to the Super Bowl last year. You've got Kansas City, who, you know, with Mahomes. I mean, you do have the Texans, but still, I mean, you, you that's already five challenging games right there. The Chargers, have, I mean, Chargers are no pushover either, even though I think they're going to be a little bit different next year. And then the the road games for the Jets, they've got the Cowboys, very tough place to play. The Giants, which is a push, that, that'll that be a fun one. We'll see where they, what they do there. But then they have to go back to Denver, who's, always, who's still very good defensively. And then you still got the Raiders, and you've got the three, uh, the three AFC games, so, uh, the, the three AFC East games. I tell you what, I mean, nine – 
It could be nine wins or so, but is that enough to get you into a wild card spot in the AFC? I don't, I don't know if it is. Eh, I mean, again, some of those games are a mystery box, so who knows? But I'm going to say that's a very hard maybe for the Jets going into the playoffs. I think if their defense plays as well as a year ago, then that should get them maybe a few extra wins than what you predicted, but. At the same time, I have these three words to say, Johnny. It's the Jets. <laughs> yeah, I I understand that. I think, though, it's a little bit different because the team is pretty much set. Now you got to get the offensive line, and you got to get the production now from Rodgers. And this is, again, and I'll say this like I said at the start, this is a huge year for Salah. Because if the Jets don't make the playoffs next year, he's going to be fired. And you, we could say injuries being an excuse or whatnot. The way that this team is going to be assembled going into next year, you know, you've got to make the playoffs at least. Otherwise, you're going to be gone. Which should make sense because we have Jets coaches as often as we elect presidents. <laughs> well, True. That's what that's it seems I like. think we have more head coaches, though, than, than presidents elected, but that's neither here or there. But, yeah, so all of a sudden, I mean, it's going to be huge, and I can't wait to get Nick's reaction to this on Thursday during our NHL draft special. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely fascinating times, though, for Gang Green because seven wins with crappy quarterback play last year. Now you've got a Hall of Fame guy, but a lot of risk with this move, too, because everyone wants to think it's a, it's a lock that he's going to go there and do what he did in Green Bay. and. He may still put up good numbers. He'll obviously put up better numbers than he did. But again, and I'm not saying that he's Russell Wilson, but we saw what Russell Wilson did in Denver last year. And he did the same thing. He went from the NFC to the AFC. He went to a very tough, he went to a very tough division in the AFC West last year. And although it wasn't as good, I mean, he still has the, be- the best team in the conference. The Jets now, Rodgers is going, I mean, you think about it. In years past, he's only had to deal with what? Maybe the Vikings? The Lions and the and the Bears seem to be, you know, gimmies. Look at Rogers' career against the Bears. Now he's got to go to the Bears. Play. The Bears, if anything, were a team that always made made any fantasy uh, points you get with Rogers help. Yeah, and now he's got to go to Buffalo. He's got to go to Miami. He's got to play those guys four times, and he's got the Patriots, who always seem to have the Jets' number. Oh, and so you gave up a lot to get him, and you what a year or two. So huge risk, potentially huge huge reward for Gangrene, but I think there's a lot of risk. I don't think this is as easy as a gimme as a lot of Jet fans are saying. And if they're saying that because they're desperate, I understand that. But see what we'll I'm stay. doing right here. This is the Jets right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Woody Johnson wants the attention. He's got the back pages. He's got the front pages. You know, he's got us talking about them at the start of the episode here today. But It'll be interesting, but now we'll see what they do come draft time on Thursday night because now they were maybe even as free agency and this offseason wear on because you've got to get an offensive line to protect Rodgers. Otherwise, he's going to go down, and then you're going to be stuck talking about the likes of Tim Boyle and, dare I say, Zach Wilson once again because your sure backup option, Mike White, he's down there in Miami. So we'll find out here with the Jets and the Packers. But – couple of other football news here real quick before we change, we, we go in another direction here, Hank. Another big thing that happened this past week with the NFL, five players in the league got suspended for violating the gambling policy. This included four Lions, 
as well. So the play, so it was Jamison Williams, Quintez Cephas, Stanley Berryhill, and safety CJ Moore. Those were all the Lions players. And then also Washington Commanders defensive end, Shaka Tony. Now, Williams and Berryhill received six-game suspensions, while the other three were all suspended indefinitely and can apply for reinstatement after the 2023 season. So almost a very similar thing, if not similar to the to the news about what happened with who was it? Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley with the Falcons, who's now on the Jaguars, and he'll be back for the upcoming season as well. Hey, kind of a this is very, very significant, especially from the Lions perspective, because you know, that's four players that they're not gonna have two for at least the first six games and the other two for the entire season. And then obviously the commanders losing defensive end Shaka Tony for uh the season as well. Yeah, no, the Lions were a team that, you know, seemed to be on the rise, especially with the culture that New York Giants legend Dan Campbell was creating. But now with all these players that have been suspended, Johnny, what kind of distraction do you think that brings into their uh, training camp? Uh, well, it definitely will be discussed because Williams and Barry Hill suspensions, they can participate in offseason and preseason activities leading up to their suspensions beginning on the final roster cutdown date. And their suspensions got were six games because – they bet from an NFL facility on non-NFL games. The, the the Williams suspension, though, that's a huge blow because if you remember, they they took him in the first round of the draft last season and he caught, um, you know, he did have a touchdown catch last year and he was their first round pick. So you look at it, probably Marvin Jones Jr., who they, who they brought in uh, after two years in Jacksonville is going to have a big role and He's going to have a more prominent role alongside Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Josh Reynolds. Those are the big guys. So it's definitely going to be a hit to Detroit. I mean, I still think they're a good up-and-coming team, but there's no question that this is definitely going to be uh, talked about in the off as we get closer to the season. And, you know, Williams not going to be there. Now, he did miss some time at the start of the year because, remember, he was coming off that 20 ACL. But still, this is going to be discussed, especially when it's four of your players, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a blow for uh, the Lions. And uh, Johnny, I got another question for you about this. Do you think this suspension is going to spark more debate about Roger Goodell and the Wheel of Discipline? Because you know that's been a hot topic in years past, especially with Calvin Ridley getting popped for a whole year when you saw other players doing things that were much worse and getting off, getting off easier. Well, I'm going to answer your question in this way. I think this is what this is going to spark is it's going to it, this is going to create a whole conversation about you know the gambling angle because this all started last year with Ridley and now you've had five other players this year and maybe it also doesn't help too that the league that's these TV networks and everything else promotes the hell out of gambling. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, you cannot go. I mean, if you're watching, let's say, like ESPN, for instance, I mean, I'm I'm putting them on here as we're, as we're talking right now. They'll show you a game that's going to – like the preview of a game, and it'll have the team that's favored right below it. They'll have the team that's favored, the over-under, and, you know, the odds of each one. Now, of course, the thing is going to be, and this is always in the fine print, you know, gamble and wager responsibly. Well, at the same time, the fact that we've got 
podcasts and we've got shows that are dedicated to gambling doesn't help matter. So I think that we're going to have to, the one year suspension for gambling, I believe is a good thing, but Mm -hmm. I think this is where you were coming at it with. If these guys are getting a year, but you have like players that are committing domestic violence, getting less, that's a problem. Yes, that's exactly what I was getting at. Yeah. Especially when Deshaun Watson only got six games and then they had to increase it to 12 due to the backlash, which in my opinion still wasn't enough because, you know, Ridley got the whole year and 12 games was like less. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. And that's why I think maybe this has to be something that gets discussed about. I mean, I think a year is a very good size suspension, but – Gambling, really, I mean, the only thing I could say is if you are gambling on your team and then you do, and then you're actually participating in those games and you're, you're hurting the stock of that team by gambling, that's where this comes in, this comes into play. Yeah, I think that definitely would make sense. And now this is the, the second straight year that we are discussing a player or in this place, in this situation, players that have been that are suspended for a long length of time because of gambling. Once again, here comes the wheel of discipline. Good old gambling Goodell. Good old gambling Goodell. I mean, that well, does rhyme together. I mean, that does uh, alliterate well. Would um, this be? I think we can sarcastically say Rogers knows best too. Possibly, and we'll hear a lot of Roger on Thursday. And not from his basement in Yonkers this time around, if you know what I'm referencing. No, no. I mean, he was out there last year, and he'll be out there again. But, yeah, Williams, I mean, remember, he, that that's kind of the big blow off. And he's probably the biggest player of the five that was suspended. Now, he was only six games because, again, him and, um, and Barry Hill – They were suspended because differently than the other three guys, but we'll find out. You know, I, I mean, but this is definitely going to create. It should definitely. What this should do, though, is this should cause a discussion about the whole gambling angle, and maybe again, maybe what also has to come down to the fact that it's being promoted so much that it's hard to ignore. So while we're technically called game on, it's game off for these five guys. Starting next season, and he won't be the and this won't be the only time that I make that reference. We'll bring oh, that up boy. later, right? So this is not game on for these five guys, and this won't be the only time I bring that up over the course of the episode. Well, Hank, well, obviously we're going to talk a lot of it. We're going to do a live stream on the NFL draft this upcoming Thursday, but I know you're not going to be with us this week, and I want to bring up a couple of big things that I'm I want to talk. I'm looking at going into Thursday night. Well, the I was planning on telling you originally that I was going to be curious to see if a deal with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets would come down by draft night. Well, we know that's already happened, but I'll tell you what, here's what I'm really looking forward to seeing on Thursday. So in years past, we've had an idea about who the number one overall pick would be. You know, last year it either was going to be uh, Trayvon Walker for Jacksonville or Aiden Hutchinson. And they ended up going with, with, with Walker and Hutchinson went to the Lions. But when I look at the number one pick for Carolina this year, a month ago, 
I could have made. I could have told you it might have been uh, Anthony Richardson from Florida, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young. Now it looks like it could have been C.J. Stroud as of a couple of weeks ago. Now Stroud's stock seems to be falling, and maybe now it's looking like Bryce Young. Well, I say that, and then I saw this post from Mike Florio in Pro Football Talk, and now they're talking about the possibility that the odds are improving for Will Levis to be the number one overall pick. And it's just, that's, you know what's fun about this draft coming up on Thursday? Well, there's two things fun. One from a fan perspective and one from a league perspective. As a fan, we're both Giant fans. There's no stress in having a top pick this year. We're picking middle of the pack. Uh, I'm thinking we're looking at that's possibly... That's being a playoff team, Johnny. Absolutely. And that's you know what? I mean, a and, a good, and you know what? You have a team that's pretty much set in stone. I mean, I know we've got some situations with Barkley and... Uh, Dexter Lawrence, but I think if you're the Giants, I think you're looking at receiver or you're looking at linebacker there with their pick. But that's the fan thing. But as a uh, that's the team fan thing. As a football fan thing, I'm looking at this and I'm like, the fun part is I have no idea who the number one overall pick is going to be because this has changed so much over the last several weeks. I'm very curious to see what Carolina does and the the notion that. C.J. Stroud's stock has fallen so much that there was even been reports that maybe the Texans are going to trade out of two is just wild. And then also, what does Arizona do at three? We know about Will Anderson from Alabama being the top defensive player in the draft, but they need so much more does Arizona than just a defensive player that there's been reports about several teams wanting to trade up and get that third pick. Now, whether that's them trading up or Arizona wanting to trade down or maybe a combination of both. So already those first three picks, there's so much potential for madness. It's I'm looking forward to seeing what exactly is going to happen. Yeah, I would agree. Arizona, I think, is a team. Honestly, if I'm the Cardinals, I wouldn't necessarily be against the idea of trading that pick down and finding a way to like really rebuild from the top again, because I don't know as talented as Kyler Murray is. We've seen him become a bit of a head case lately and he kind of got Kyler Murray fired, but then there's also this, if you're going to have a homework clause somewhere in your contract, (laughs) that kind of tells you all you need to know. And Nick and I were kind of making fun of that, that homework clause or something like that. So yeah, I feel like they kind of need to just start from scratch. And if they got a lot in return for that pick, that definitely could be a win for them going forward. And, you know, come to think of it, the Cardinals, that's got to be the mo- one of the losingest, probably the losingest team in NFL history. Well, think about it. You know, you give all that money to Kyler Murray in the offseason last year. Then he tears his ACL late last year. We don't know if he's even going to be ready for the start of the of 2023. Now, the thing that might work to their advantage, though, finally they got rid of the head case of the head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. He's back as a he's back at USC doing something, <laughs> but well, something it's better than yeah. that, right? But not not being the head coach, that's back where he should be in college. Yeah, but you know, so Arizona at three also holds all the cards. But I don't know now what what. Carolina's going to do it one. And it, I, this is the, so crucial because that whole NFC South is still not that great. And I love what Arizona's done this offseason with, you know, bringing in Miles Sanders, you know, bringing in DJ Chark, 
you know, Hunter Hurst, the tight end. I mean, Hayden Hurst, the tight end. They've got, you know, they're building themselves quite a team over there in Carolina who, remember, went from one and six or or so to playing relevant football in week 17 last year with the possibility of winning the NFC South. And you bring in Frank Reich to head, as the head coach. I mean, Carolina is building so, themselves something, but it's just so crucial for them to get the guy that they have to nail this pick. Absolutely. Yes. Especially considering all the fan support that they've lost over the past few years, ever since David Tepper became the owner, you definitely need to get your franchise quarterback and establish a bit of hope amongst whatever fan base you have left and maybe try to build back that fan base with a said possible elite quarterback. And Hey, you hit on this quarterback. You very well might be a playoff team because look at the rest of that division. You think I trust the Falcons in the NFC South? No. You think I trust the Buccaneers with their newly improved quarterback of Baker Mayfield? For legal purposes, that was sarcasm, by the way. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, it's either him or Kyle Trash. I mean, Trask. And then with the Saints, yeah, you got Derek Carr, great, but you overpaid for him and he decided to go to a team that is, um, how should I put it politely, uh, broke? How the hell did they afford him, by the way? Yeah. I... Re- like, anybody can win that division. I really think the Panthers have an open opportunity to really make noise. I mean, they did also bring in Andy Dalton to be that that capable backup. Um, but Which I think was a wise move. I agree with you, yeah. He, maybe, he might not just be a backup. He might be that uh, mentor to whoever they take as a, as their young quarterback, and eventually he could learn from him. And, hey, who knows? Maybe, maybe you even start Andy Dalton for a good fraction of the season if said quarterback is really young, raw, and not quite ready. I mean, look how it worked. Look how that worked out with uh, Aaron Rodgers and uh, Patrick Mahomes. Sure. I just don't know who they're going to take now. I'm so, I'm so confused because you know I'm a big college guy, so I know all these guys. You know, Stroud, Young, Levis, Richardson. I think I think Stroud's the best fit for them, but. I don't I don't know what they're gonna go at. I'm I'm still worried about Bryce Young's size that he's gonna be able to see over these guys. I mean, his arm is great. I mean, what he did there in Alabama was phenomenal. But I just don't know if his size, you know, leads is gonna translate into the NFL. But he's definitely got the arm strength, just like Stroud. They both have the arm strength. But I don't know what it is with Stroud that his that his stock's coming down. You know, he did – the reason why the, the talk was with Young was they canceled all their priests – the rest of their meetings leading up to the draft. Wow. I tell you what. I mean, we've seen so many different variations of what this is going to be that I can't wait for Thursday. And because it, it really has a trickle – but think about it, Hank. I mean, it this pick – not only is it huge for Carolina, but it trickles down to the rest of the draft because what did the Texans do at two? What did the Colts do at four? You know, what if somebody decides to, to get above Indy 
and go for QB at three, then what does that do to Indy at four? I mean, again, that trading up with Indy could end up resulting in them filling a lot of needs, whoever that is. There was even one, I think it was or Bill Indy Barton. Down. I'm sorry, I don't I didn't mean to confuse you right there. Ryan. That's okay, no, you're good. There was I think it was Bill Barnell over at ESPN made brought up one crazy trade reference, uh trade potential. And he th- did put about Lamar Jackson going to Houston. Which would be wild too, but not impossible because Lamar needs a desperate situation right now if he's not going back to the to the Ravens. I think he's going back to Baltimore because really that's his only market right now. Unless you're telling me that crazy trade with Houston or you're telling me that trade – if you tell me he's going to Indy. That's the only other spots I see it, see it at. But that's the thing, Hank. So that the NFL draft, it's filled with a lot of uncertainties. That's That's what's going to be fun. And I can't wait this Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern – we will have an empty the bench and game on crossover special, maybe with a few other surprises along the way. Now, the draft starts at eight. I think the first pick's like at eight fifteen. We were going to come on at eight. There's a good possibility we may be doing a little bit of a pre-show starting at seven thirty. That's also to get, for Nick to get his jet stuff out of the way too. So, best thing to do is have your notifications set on our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/etpnetwork, and of course follow us across our social media platforms so you know if. And when we if we do start, we do start a few minutes early to get you to lead up to the draft because again, there's just so much going on. But that is coming up this Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, and then of course Hank and I will be back next week to react to the entire weekend, to the entire draft, and start putting some pieces together and start to take and take one step closer to the NFL season. But Hank, that's still the NFL season is still four plus months away even though your preseason's in August, but the real season four months away. But we've got a lot of other stuff to get into, and including the postseasons in both basketball and hockey. And we'll get to our Rangers in just a few minutes, but I want to start with my Knicks. Who, oh, let's, let's yes, who right now, actually, as this show is airing, are playing the Cleveland Cavaliers in game five as the Knicks lead three games to one against Cleveland. And I tell you what, so I was on with Nick. I was on with Tom. We were talking about this series uh, back, and I felt like the Knicks had a chance. Now, don't get me wrong. The series is not over yet because I actually do think Cal- Cleveland's going to win game five, and I think this is the series is going back to the Garden. But here's what you have to say. For as much criticism as the Knicks organization gets, and don't get me wrong, they deserve a ton of it in the last you know 20 years or so. But you have to give them credit. In this regard, they nailed Jalen Brunson. They nailed the Jalen Brunson signing. It's probably been the best signing of any team in the offseason, if not right up there. Can I also add that that might be the best signing the Knicks have made in God knows how long? You can make that case absolutely. Is that like not even a stretch? And not to mention, he's the first legitimate point guard we've had since, oh gosh, it Starks maybe? I would go Charlie Ward. Ah, Ward was okay. I wouldn't put him ahead of Starks, though. Well, I think John Starks is more of a shooting guard than point guard. Well, but shooting guard, the guard in general, then yes. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to say guards in general, I mean, we're in, we also did have ha- Allen Houston, who was fantastic. He just, you know, unfortunately, he broke down at the end. But 
They fun nailed the Brunson signing. Cactus kid went to the my summer job. Pretty cool. Sweet. That's awesome. I the, the Josh. He looks very. He looks very much like his father. Yes, absolutely. The Josh Hart trade at the deadline, which didn't seem like it was much at the time, has turned out to be an absolute boom for this team. Oh, the best trade the Knicks have made in season since Derek Harper. That one is no stretch. Yeah, I would even put that above Carmelo for sure. Yes. That I don't think is a stretch either. Well, if you're looking at the results right now and the fact that they still are able to keep this team around and whether it's been injury or whatnot, I mean, they're doing this in spite of of Julius Randle, who's been struggling. Uh, Now, whether he's hurt again or not, that's one thing. But, you know, R.J. Barrett's turned it on here down the stretch and into the playoffs as well. I, I, I felt this. See, to me, Cleveland had the better starting lineup going into the series, but I think the Knicks were actually deeper overall. I, I love their, their bench, and as much as your star players need to show up in the postseason, Hank, it's a whole team-wide thing. We've seen this with a lot of teams. You know, We've seen that the, the bench players have been just as important as your starters, and so far that's turning out to be the case. And what the Knicks have been able to do defensively is at times shut down the Cavs starters including Donovan Mitchell, who has had some moments, but he's also been shut out in some games too. So that to me just goes to show you that what this team's doing is quite amazing. Now, again, this series is not over. I actually do think Cleveland's going to win as the show's airing right now. And I think this series is going back to the Garden. And that would be great if the Knicks go back to the Garden with a chance to clinch the series. I mean, you watched game three and game four uh, Friday night and Sunday afternoon. That place was as loud as I can remember for Knicks basketball in 25 years. Because I don't remember it being that loud back in the 2013 season, which was the last time the Knicks were this great, this good. I mean, that place was erupting on Sunday. It just goes to show you how strong this fan base is. Like, they have been loyal and sticking by the Knicks through so many terrible decisions after another. And now they finally look like they're a team that is headed in the right direction for the first time since, oh, God God knows how long, but definitely something that they need. And I can get ahead of myself in talking about the possibilities, but we still have a series to win. They still need to win one more game and hey I would love to put them away in Cleveland but I don't know that that's really realistic so to so to speak I think they're going to put them away at the garden because you have with that type of home court advantage with the way the fans have been and if I can somehow by some miracle find a ticket to go to game six that would be a lot of fun too but Obviously, you know I'm saving up for what can hopefully be a Rangers playoff run. Can we yeah, please absolutely. Back up? We'll talk about that later. No, you're yeah, that's absolutely right. And we still don't have a time right now for game six or seven if it does uh come to fruition that those are still to be determined. But we do know game five is gonna is on right now as we air. But it is I mean, I, I that's why I always thought the Knicks did have a chance. I mean, I again to me, the Cavs were definitely 
the starting lineup's better there, but I still think the Knicks overall are better. Yeah, that it goes to show you why depth can be very important in a seven-game series. And it's actually quite amazing because if you look at the their their team comparisons going into the series, you know the Knicks are scoring more, they're rebounding more, they're they have more they're averaging more steals. But I mean, when you look at like field goal percentage and you look at three point shooting, you look at free throw shooting, it's kind of close. You know. The Cavs actually have the advantage in the field goal shooting and three-point shooting, but the Knicks have the advantage in the free throw shots. But if you look just at, at numbers, it actually as a team-wide numbers, it, they actually do look, you know, kind of similar. And you know, again, Mitchell's averaged twenty-two points through the first four games, but he was shut out in pretty much in Game Four. And I mean, if you shut him out, I mean, that's you know, they still have some very good players on that team. But I mean, Jalen Brunson, what he's done. I mean, he's 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 him. He has given this team such a spark. It's been one of the best signings in years for the Knicks. Yeah, absolutely. He has been absolutely phenomenal, and he really set the tone in that first game when he dropped twenty-one points in the second half and alone. When it looked like they were going to blow that game, they ended up pulling it out very late, and he had some clutch buckets there too. And and you know Barrett who Barrett's come along a lot here these last several weeks getting into the playoffs and you know his production has been there you know Randall's has not but I I I still wonder if Randall's really that healthy I mean you know you did see him not play much in, if at all in the fourth quarter on Sunday and if that was a benching then you give you know not many coaches would have the guts to bench their second best player in the fourth in the fourth quarter of a playoff game but you see. You know, when he's been out, you know, you've had guys like Obi Toppin step in, you know, Mitchell Robinson, you know, quickly, those guys all stepping in. And again, you know, that's that's what you need in the playoffs. And if if they're able, I mean, if they are able to win game four, a game five or game six, let's say, then you know what? If they do end up winning the series, this all of a sudden becomes a very successful year for this franchise and one you could build on going forward. And anything that could happen from here on out would be gravy, essentially. Yeah, and again, you have all your your picks because you did not pull the trigger on the Donovan Mitchell trade and showed some, you know, constraint and didn't give in to Danny Ainge. So and that I, often, you know that would have happened in years past. Absolutely, and there was a and remember you and I were on here, and we spent many shows in the summertime talking about Donovan Mitchell and. I wanted him here, but I wanted him here at the right price. And you, you know, there were reports that they wanted uh, not not just the first round picks, but they wanted Barrett, they wanted Robinson, and I'm like, I need those guys on the team. You know, I need Mitchell to go along with those guys. If if Donovan Mitchell was on here with Barrett and Robinson both being gone, I think we're in the same predicament, if not a little bit worse. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. See, Mitchell went to Cleveland, and that was a great spot for him because he had good young players around him too. So that that's it's not a knock. That's just, you know, again, we talk about star players, but we also talk about fits. We've mentioned that a lot here in the history of the show. And remember, we talked about that with Carmelo when he came here in 2011. Mm-hmm. So you brought him in here, but 
he was great, but you didn't have the great su- supporting characters there. And then, of course, you know, J.R. Smith did what he did against the Celtics, and that just killed all their chances. But, yeah, I, I love this group. I, I, I really do. And if they do beat the Cavs in the series, I don't know how much of a deep playoff run they can make it. But I tell you what, I mean, you, you this would be such a successful year, especially after what happened last year, the disappointing part about last season with, you know, the, the talks with Randall, and then you bring in – uh, a Brunson, who's been maybe the best free agent acquisition in basketball this year, to go along with your other this the rest of this team. I mean, you're building something there. Yeah, absolutely, and I think time will really tell what they can do to build off of this good run. But we'll find out. So, Game Five is airing now, and then Game Six, if necessary, would be on Friday, and Game Seven, if necessary, would be on Sunday. So. We will have a result of this series one way or another by our next show. Well, if you look at the rest of the NBA playoffs here, as of you know when we're recording this, the only series that's set in stone right now is the Sixers over the Nets, as the Sixers swept them in four games. And you know, at the end of the day, Hank, you know that series real quick just before we get to the other big thing that I want to take out of the opening round so far. I mean, the Sixers just have the talent. You know, the Nets had a great run. But, you know, the Nets don't have an Embiid. They don't have a James Harden on their team. They have some nice, young, scrappy players. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Embiid is just – it's just too much. And even James Harden actually did show up. Uh, I was about and- to say, I think if James Harden plays the way he did in the first round, maybe this could be the year the Sixers finally get over the hump. Although, at the same time, I think possibly Milwaukee. Milwaukee's in really big trouble after falling down three to one to the Heat. And can I just say, by the way, sorry if I'm going on a little tangent. No, please do. Jimmy Buckets is him. Yeah. 56 points. That guy is as clutch is as clutch as it comes in the playoffs. Gosh, can you imagine if there was an alternate universe where the Sixers somehow find found a way to keep that guy? I think they would have been in the finals by now. Yeah, I mean, he was he was kind of a headache over there in Philadelphia. I know he was, but I think he proved that he was a guy who really was a clutch performer when it mattered. I mean, after all, he did take the heat to the finals. I don't care if it was the, in the bubble series, but he's shown time and time again that he is a very, very reliable player for that franchise. And, hey, took him to the conference finals a year ago. Yeah, and I forget if I said this with Tom or with Nick on Empty the Bench the last two shows I was filling in there. Miami, to me, as an eight seed, was very dangerous. You know, I think to me they yeah. were eight seed in number only. Yeah, I would and agree as good as the Bucks are, you know, Giannis has been hurt, and that's been a a notable trend here in the opening round is some notable injuries to some big name players. You know, we're talking about Giannis, who's had a lower back contusion, but think about all these other names that you know. If you're an NBA fan, you know about and the impact that it's having. Paul George, right knee sprain. Tyler Hero, fractured right hand for the Heat. Giannis with the lower back contusion. Kawhi Leonard, right right knee sprain. Joel Embiid, right knee sprain. Now, fortunately, the Sixers swept them. They'll have some time. He'll have some time before the second round. John Morant is right hand, and look how ineffective he has been in, in the series against the Lakers. And then the most n- recent injury that came out on Monday from Woj Sacramento Kings star De'Aaron Fox who's got a fractured finger on his shooting hand now 
he may try and play through that, but how effective is he going to be? I mean, we've seen that with Morant. You know, that right hand, he is so ineffective, and he's trying way too hard. You know, if you looked at some of his play in that series, I mean, he is. I mean, he's going to kill himself out there the way he's trying to play. It's like he's a hero out there, and they have not been the same team since that the Morant the Morant situation from a few weeks back. But, oh, he's PB and no Jay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I, and that series now with the Lakers is tied at two. And I told and I was saying this to Tom two weeks ago, and I think I even said it to Nick on Empty the Bench too. There were two series out west that I thought had potential for big time upsets, and that was the Lakers over the Grizzlies, and I still think the Warriors over the Kings. Now that series is back to being a two apiece, as Game Five will be a little bit later on tonight, but. I tell you what, now all you're asking Golden State to do is win one game on the road. And maybe that's later on tonight in game five at 10 p.m. Eastern. Because, you know, if De'Aaron Fox is going to be that ineffective, then maybe the Warriors are going to – it's that break that the Warriors need. And look, the Warriors were even like get past a major gaffe by Steph Curry in game four when he, when he decided to pull his best uh, Chris Webber and Michigan and take a timeout when he didn't have one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right, but the only difference was that was bad. That while Weber and Michigan did not. That was bad. But yeah, I mean, you look at, the, but that's the big thing, Hank. I take out of these series so far, and yeah, we don't know really what the outcome was. I mean, the, right now the Suns are up. Uh, the Suns might have already clinched by the time this show airs against the Clippers, and again, Paul George not being there, not helping matters either. But the injuries playing a huge role series. I mean, we're, we're looking at another huge up, a rare 1-8 upset in the NBA if the Heat can get past the Bucks, And that all of a sudden changes. Well, I don't think it changes things that much in the East because I still think the Celtics are the best. To me, I had the Celtics going back to the finals. But it if, with Milwaukee, if they don't come back from this, then Boston and Philadelphia, it Opens things up a little bit there in that Eastern Conference, but these injuries huge deal, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of want. I'm oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, you saying something? And I had Milwaukee winning the finals too. Yeah, I just see the thing was Giannis is awesome, but I like Boston's surrounding cast a bit more than Milwaukee's. Fair. And you've seen yeah, that, Malcolm you know, Locks has been a good six man, and he's been performing pretty well for them in the playoffs so far. Yeah, and you see that with Giannis not being there, Milwaukee just doesn't look like the same team. Well, Boston's just got, you know, the cast they've got is pretty deep. Yeah. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Yeah. And as I mentioned, Malcolm Brogdon being the sixth man. But I mean, I'm really I mean, I'm obviously I'm gonna be hooked into the Knicks and the Cavs. Um after this show and then the the two series out west the grizzlies and lakers and the kings and the warriors i tell you i, I mean the, those series to me could be going pretty long well the lakers are now through one i don't i don't think the lakers closed them out in five but i could see them possibly closing it out at, at what i refuse to call crypto and i still think of as staple center <laughs> yes oh crypto.com arena Although it'll, it'll always be Staples Center, but I mean, how could they have it over there? They've got uh, three teams uh, in the playoffs still, but 
we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, Le- LeBron turning back the clock, you know, being the first 2020, what was it, 20 or the oldest player with 20 points and 20 rebounds in a playoff game. Amazing. I mean, they're healthy now. And I think, like I said, I look out for the Lakers. If LeBron and AD are there and they're both healthy in that cast, I think LeBron's going to try and give it one more run. Now, do I think they get past the Nuggets? I don't know if they get past the Nuggets and, and Nikola Jokic if you look at what he's doing. Um, the the Kings and Warriors series, I thought, you know, th- that was my f- most intriguing series of any of the of the eight series in the NBA playoffs because you had this young Kings team who was so great, you know, with, with Coach of the Year Mike Brown facing – a warrior squad that obviously has had the experience has been there before. And Mike Brown has faced the warriors before. Remember when he was the Cavs coach. So he knows how to beat them, but the warriors have have done so poor on the road. And I guess if you know, you want to take one other thing out of the postseason too, besides all the injuries, the suspensions that we've had, you know, the Draymond green situation, which I know Nick, Nick and I talked about last week on empty the bench. Uh, you know, you've had other players getting suspended for either flagrant fouls or whatnot. Um, also kind of making a difference. And, you know, it's such a tough thing because the one thing you hate to see in basketball, and you see it a lot in basketball too, is inconsistency when it comes to foul, foul calling. The Draymond Green thing to me, I mean, the NBA pretty much admitted what, what it was. You know, it was – Draymond Green, you know, the the history of him, you know, him being down this before. I mean, we saw this back in the NBA Finals against the Cavs where he got suspended for a game and it turned the whole series around. Oh, are you talking about the nut kicking? Yes. The kicking, uh, who was it? I forget who it was. I mean, it was I know it was in 2016, but, you know, they all seem to lump in together. But um, He's had a history of uh, getting in trouble, but at the same time, he's also their heart and soul, but can I give you a bit of a hot take? I actually thought the Warriors did better without having him on the court as much. Well, if, you, if you really looked at the way he's played the past few years, he's slowly become kind of a liability for the Warriors, I feel like. And he's just gotten in a bit of a decline. I think they definitely may have – that may have actually helped them, if I'm being honest. Well, there's something, though, to him, though, always being out there, though um... – you know, he, he it's not his numbers, but his presence there defensively uh, helps too. That's the thing. You know, Golden State's had this run for several years because you've had Thompson, you've had Curry, and you've had Green there. And then you've been able to incorporate some other pieces. You know, Jordan Poole's come along. I think Draymond's gone after this year anyway. I, I think the Warriors after this year are going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I mean, you see now Jordan Poole is there, and he seems to be a guy. You know, Andrew Wiggins was there last year. I think they're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I think Green's going to go somewhere else. And some team's going to take him because his defensive presence, and by the way, of Steven Adams back in 2016, uh, that was the last incident with, with, with Green. But his presence out there is a defensive presence somebody's going to take. And no, I don't want him in the Knicks. So let's just put that away. No, no. If, if this I don't think you want to – I mean, five. he's a good defensive player, but I just don't think you if want this, that kind of – Five, answer six stuff. years ago, maybe I'd be – entertaining the idea but now i would totally like just hibernate on that completely but somebody's gonna if if golden state doesn't bring him back some team is going to take a a shot at him yeah without yeah that's what i that's what i would go with 
here. I can see you know, somebody using him as like a source of like valuable experience, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, if you're a team that needs a defensive stop there at the end of the day, that that'll that'll then he's your guy. But there's baggage that comes along with that with Green. And remember, he does more than just you know play basketball. He's got the whole podcast and everything. He's gonna have the Turner pat the Turner thing. So there's a there's a risk with uh, bringing him aboard. But I'm can't wait to see where these series are by our next episode because uh, we these it's we already have a major upset in the making. We maybe have two more out west, and hopefully our Knicks are on to the second round in what's been an amazing season thus far. Well, Hank, there's also another team that's – you know, we've had three teams playing a crypto arena out in L.A. Well, we have two playoff teams that play at Madison Square Garden, obviously the Knicks and the New York Rangers. And this series, boy, I'll tell you, if we were doing a show – over the weekend would be we'd be talking a lot or would we be talking a lot different than we are talking about today. So game five on Thursday, but this series has definitely turned. You know, after game two, Rangers uh, winning the first two games on the road, outscoring the Devils 10 to 2, but the series has gone back to Madison Square Garden. The Devils made a goaltending change, bringing in Schmidt, and they look like a different team. And I was telling your um your co-host on your new podcast, uh, Jen, that I was excited they were up two games to none, but I still caution them a little bit because one thing about New Jersey, and you probably can agree with me on this, New Jersey does not go on long losing streaks. They had one, I think they had one six-game losing streak, but that was early in the season. Yeah, but that was like right back around the Thanksgiving break, I want to say. Or actually, no, that was around December, if I remember correctly. That was right around the time the Rangers started getting – started improving and getting hot. So yeah, the devils for the most part have been very resilient. And also not to mention if you're a Ranger fan, come on, can you seriously come up and tell me that you thought things were going to be this easy after they won the second game? I mean, I personally thought it was, was too good to be true. And Johnny, what's a good saying? If, if you ever think something's too good to be too, too good to be true, more often than not, it is. However, with that being said, I still think the Rangers are the better team, or at least on paper they're the better team. I still think haven't completely lost hope on them. But with that having been said, going into the Garden, Game 3 I thought was kind of a missed opportunity in my honest opinion because – you're coming off the high of two consecutive boat racings at the Prudential. So I, I knew you'd like that. I would say yeah. that. And then you go to the garden, you're, you put them in a frenzy up one, nothing with that amazing Chris Kreider goal. And then there was that stupid call where Timo Meyer sometime somehow decides a good idea to just go lying down on Igor's leg. And then somehow Igor gets in trouble for depending himself and trying to throw hands at Timo. And come on, in that situation, you're in a very weak, like tough and defenseless position. Of course, you're going to want to throw hands at your opponent. But you know what? The refs somehow gave the Devils a penalty and they freaking tied it on that power play. However, with that being said, am I going to say that the Rangers got hosed in that game? Not entirely. And I'm going to tell you why. Because yes, while that pen- that penalty call was bad, 
the Rangers power play, or as I might have to call it a power failure, went powerless. Oh, hmm? Powerless play? Uh, Two minutes off the clock. I would just say power failure. I think power, okay. power failure just sounds a bit better. Oh, for five. I'm sorry, but you are not going to win a lot of games if your power play is going to go cold like that. And while I'm going to give Igor all the credit where credit is due, the Rangers had plenty of opportunities where they could have won this game. So if, God forbid, the Rangers find a way to lose this series, that's the game that I'm going to be looking at as like, regret or a missed opportunity and believe me lord knows how many of those games we've seen in rangers history but at the same time is the series over no if you told me that it would be 2-2 at this point before the series forget how things would play out i probably would have believed you however let's talk about the disaster that was uh game four now i was at this game with my stepfather last night now Incidentally, this was the same man that took him to my first game many years ago, and I finally took him to his first playoff game. So that was pretty cool. That's pretty cool, and I'm glad he enjoyed that experience. But, oh, man, this game killed me. The Rangers had their opportunities to take an early lead, but then Jack Hughes gets the puck, races all the way, boom. one nothing on a breakaway, and... The Rangers in this game just look flat. I mean, I know Trocek scored that goal to give you hope like early in the third period, but Johnny, I got to be honest. They played like absolute crap in this game. And I I was talking with Jennifer about this afterwards. Hold on. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm not dying. I promise. But (laughs) well, you'd think I would be based on this team. That's neither here nor there. Um, Johnny, most of the big money players have not been producing. Like, in all these four games, do you know how many goals Panarin and Zibanejev had? Zero. Zero. Like, I'm sorry. These are the guys that you're paying big money to. Zibanejev is supposed to be one of the elite centers in the league. And he's been quiet. And Artemi Panarin, I'm so sick of this. And again, Jennifer can vouch for me on this too because we talk about it all the time. Every time Panarin has the puck, he'll either turn it over in a big moment or he'll decide to pass it on to somebody even when he has a really good shooting lane. Gosh, I'm sorry. This team has aged me probably another 10 to 15 years, man. Like... Well, they should this the Rangers should easily have a chance to like close out the series and make a mistake. I'm not saying that they're, that they're done, but far from it because they still can come out, bounce back, and win the next two. But you can see why Gerard Gallant was absolutely furious. I mean, he said it himself. He said the Rangers looked like they were complaining at the refs with all those calls. He looked like he said that their effort was bad, and you know what? He was right. But what gives me hope. The last time Gerard Gallant went off on that to the media, that was the game where they absolutely boat raced the Lightning towards the end of the regular season. That was the game that kind of gave me a bit of confidence going into this playoff series and thinking that the Rangers had a chance. So 
there is that. But, I mean, look, 10 goals in the first two games, and then you can only score two goals shortly thereafter. And then you have a power play at home with a top six that consists of Trocek, Kreider, Panarin, Zabanajad, Tarasenko, and Kane. And you can't even get one power play goal? Well, so how I'm much so, though would I'm you sorry. give? I'm just like. No, that, you're good. I mean, listen, I I know that feeling. Let me ask you this, though, because obviously, you know, I'm a Ranger fan like you. And I've been watching these games in depth as much. And, you know, it's different because I get the national feeds down here. So right. I've been watching Kenny Albert. Crew on TNT the first two games, and then I've had Sean McDonough's crew the last two. How much though would you say that this is about New Jersey adjustments? Because I've noticed that from New Jersey's side that after the first two games, where they did literally like the Rangers haven't done anything on the power play the last two games, New Jersey didn't do anything the first two games, and they they made adjustments both you know offensively and especially defensively. How much are you saying more adjustments than you would think would be the Ranger players shutting out? Because I think both are true. Um, I, but you, it seems to me that New Jersey's made the adjustments, including Johnny, you know, going to Schmidt in the last few games. You just took the words right out of my mouth. Both can be true. Both can be true. I mean, you have to give Lindy Ruff credit the, where credit is due. I was pretty shocked that they made that decision to go with Schmidt to start because that was a move that looked like pure desperation, but you know what? It just goes to show you, I think he really looked at film and made the necessary adjustments to what the Rangers did. And now it's really a matter of what Gallant does and see if he can find a way to, you know, bounce back and find a way to correct those adjustments. Cause I think that because once the devils figure figured out how much Kreider was killing them, I think that really changed the series. And Again, I'm looking at two of the big money players specifically, Panarin and Zabadjad. These guys, if we are going to go any, forget this series, if we are going to go far at all, they absolutely need to step up their A game. Otherwise, this could be turning into a disaster, to a disaster quicker, much quicker than we expected. And I'm sorry, this is like, this might very well be one of the best chances we have to really win a cup. I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer, but there's going to be a lot of question marks Chris Drury is going to be facing with that hard salary cap, especially when it comes to players like Lindgren, Patrick Kane, and Vlad Tarasenko being free agents. So... And and you, when you look at how loaded this current team is, who knows? But then again, and anything can really happen with uh, with these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. And as much as you want to like get frustrated about the Rangers, and you have every reason to be, you definitely have to give the Devils credit where credit is due because this is also a team that's young and hungry and ha- doesn't have. And most of these guys don't really know the pressure of playing in these big games. And they went into the garden, like facing serious elimination and they stepped up their game. You have to give them credit, especially Jack Hughes, who he is going to be a thorn in our side for many years to come. Yeah. He's, he is unbelievable. I mean, I I tell you that, that, 
that goal he scored was such a swing because it looked like the Rangers were going to have one on their end, and then Hughes gets in and goes right back down and scores the other end. It was like a two-goal swing in the early going in game four there on Monday night and really turned things around. And even, you know, when the Rangers score uh, the Trocek goal to tie it up, I mean, it's not even seven minutes later, New Jersey goes right back down and scores again. And the thing I noticed, too, game four, a lot of missed shots, a lot, lot of shots going wide or missing the net on the Rangers' side in game four as well. Oh, my gosh. You'd think they were Scott Norwood. That's how long. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, but – you know, Schmidt's coming too from New Jersey, and it's something about these rookie goaltenders that come in and just well, give the Rangers bits. Every time we face a backup, and this has pretty much been the case ever since I started watching this team like so many years ago, you could get like some random bum off the street in Penn Station, have him play backup, and the Rangers will make him look like, say, Patrick Waugh or uh, Dominic Hoshek or Marty mm-hmm. Bergdor. Well, the key with that is, you know, you got to pressure them early, and it seemed like there with so many missed shots in game four that Schmidt was just settling in. And it was crazy because, you know, the fewest goals allowed in the first two career playoff game starts for the Devils. Who do you think is the only other goaltender besides uh, Schmidt to give up two in this, their first two playoff career starts? Oh, I, you would have to think Marty. Yeah, and then 94. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And we all know where Brodor became, but yeah, I mean, I was, I, you know, I said this to Jen and I said really when the series started to me, this, this had at least six and I wouldn't be surprised now the way these two teams are matched up that we're going seven games. Well, I mean, look, there is a reason I splurged on game seven tickets before the series started for. Yeah. And you were smart to do so because I, I, to me, they're just neither team goes on long losing streaks. So for both of them to lose two in a row, and as he was saying the last time, I think the Rangers lost two straight playoff games at home. I think even in the same series was 2016. So, and the devils, you know, don't go on many losing streaks. I mean, we saw, I mean, their record when, you know, scoring with just these stats that have been coming out all series long. I mean, just proved to me that this series was going to go long. And, you know, that's also what the Rangers do too. You know, they don't win get series and, Five. They go six. Like we were here last year at this time. We were having seven game series against, you know, Pittsburgh against uh, Carolina. After having let all let all that rantiness off my chest, is that even a word? I don't know, but it is now. Well, whoever writes the the Webster's dictionary, I think you can put it in there. It's a hankyism. It's all good. Let me um let me go to the positive side because let's remember. The Rangers last year have came, have come back from worse. Yeah. I mean, you know, down three to one against the Penguins, they had no business winning that series. But, you know, they did. And if you really think about it, other than game four, game four was really the only game where you really knew the Devils were better. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like game three, that, that the Rangers really game three was really more the Rangers just having their chances, but missing an opportunity game four, the Rangers were just flat. You, it, never really, yeah. it never really felt to me like they were going to win game four game three. was This was, so that was really the only one where I just felt the Rangers weren't in it. So my hopes are still, my I, my optimism is still kind of higher, but 
I would say it's about a six or a seven because you, you, you know, there's always that worry in the back of my mind. It's, it's true for any Ranger fan. Yeah. Well, we will find out game three, game five is Thursday, seven thirty PM Eastern. That'll be on ESPN two between the Rangers and the devils. And then game six will be Saturday. And if necessary, game seven is on Monday between these two. Hank, real quick, just talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs in general here, because I want to finish up on the baseball talk here. But, you know, the, the thing that I take away so far from the first round of the playoffs, we've had 10 games as of Monday decided in overtime or later. So it's been kind of a very crazy postseason so far. And as as we're recording this, nothing's set in stone. We have We have several series, though, three games to one, Bruins-Panthers, which I don't think is a surprise. Maple Leafs, Lightning, the Leafs, can they hold on to a 3-1 series lead? By the way, they've had two overtime, including game four, where the Lightning had a three-goal lead. Where oh, they my cannot gosh, hold four to one. Yeah, Dude, which maybe out, goes to show one. you that maybe the tide is turning because that would have been in years past a situation where the Leafs had that three-goal lead and would have lost. So maybe the tide is turning there. And I remember you and I were talking at the start of the season that we weren't as high on the Lightning this year as in years past. So, right, because they'd lost a lot of their uh, depth pieces that had helped them go far in years past. Because, again, I've often said, if you look at the Lightning, when looking past the core of Stamkos, Kucherov, and Hedman, and Vasilevsky, you also tend to forget that the Lightning have also had so many players changing over the years, too. Yeah, that's and true. Vasilevsky hasn't been the same either this year. And this year they'd gotten weaker, and they also lost one of their best defensemen in Ryan McDonough, too, to the Nashville Predators. Right. Um, Hurricanes may have gotten rid of past the Islanders. They were three games to one playing game two, a uh, game five uh, as um, on Tuesday night. We know about the Rangers and the, and the Devils. Out west, uh, you've got the Avalanche and Kraken tied at two games apiece. Game, that game was another five. good game, by the way. Jordan... Jordan Eberly, or let me give you a John Sterling style uh, nickname for him. Eberly Hills 90210. <laughs> I like that. For the Seattle Kraken. And in what was the first playoff victory for the Kraken in front of their home fans. And the first win for any Seattle team in the playoffs in 100 years, believe it or not. And that's and that's been a great series, too. I mean, imagine if the Avalanche can't make it back. I mean, get knocked out in this round. I mean, best of three now out there. I mean, listen, Jennifer and I talked about this too. We both think it's a legitimate possibility that the crack could win. Ultimately, I think the Colorado Avalanche are going to win because, you know, I often say experience matters, but I'm definitely pulling for the Kraken to get the upset. I think that would be very fun if they could make a deep run. And uh, Callie Maker, the uh, Avalanche defenseman, got suspended for one game. So he oh, won't Cal- be fired for the interference against Jared McCann. By the way, uh, Jared McCann. Fun fact. Um, wonder how. Um, wonder how Hextall feels about letting him go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there's a reason he's he's now out of a job. Mm-hmm. And you got the Stars in the Wild. That game one went double overtime. Wild won that one. That series is tied at two games apiece, playing on Tuesday night. So we'll see where that series goes. I was, I've been into the, the Golden Knights and Jets series. I saw game three where the uh, Jets came back. What was it? The Jets that came back from three goals down to force overtime, and then that one too, but Vegas ended up winning at 
Mm-hmm. But the Golden Knights lead that series three games to one with game five Thursday. And then one of my favorite series that I've been looking forward to, three games in over at least three of these games in overtime, the Oilers and the Kings, where that series is tied at two games apiece. And to me, Hank, the Oilers were my dark horse team to come out of the West and make the make the cup finals out there. And they've been involved in one heck of a series against the Kings so far. Yeah, that one's definitely gone roller coaster. The Oilers had a bad loss in game one, but then they kind of got their revenge with that comeback in game four. I can see that one going the full seven as well. Sure can. So we'll know a lot more about these series. They'll be all complete or just about by our next episode. Well, let's wrap up the show talking about some baseball. And you know how we talked about game off for five foot NFL players to start 2023? Well, it's game off for... Max Scherzer, who the Mets right-handed. This was a crazy, crazy thing that happened last week in L.A. And again, it seems like a Hollywood story, but it's becoming reality here. So Scherzer was he ended up getting he ended up getting a ten-game suspension for the rosin use. They're calling it violating the pro- prohibitions on foreign substances. Now, in the beginning, it looked like he was going to appeal, and then it says that he's not going to appeal. Now, Hank, here's the weird thing. I go back and I watch this whole thing because actually I was recording with Nick last week when we were doing Empty the Bench when this had broke. And when I go back and watch the whole thing, the first thing that gets my attention is, so we, you know how you know, every time the players come off the mound, that's when they get checked. Mm-hmm. But this was a spot, and I think you were doing Hitting for the Cycle live that night when this happened because this happened last Wednesday. Yes, yes, and I'll be curious when you get your reaction. But I'm wondering if, at first glance, when I go back and watch this, it was interesting because they were checking him when he was going to the mound instead of coming off the mound, and that's what I found to be very, very fascinating. The first of many things fascinating with this. So he ends up having to go get his his glove. I guess he has to go change his glove, and the umpires then say that. I mean, the, the wording that they used was that the, the, the how his hands felt. They never felt like anybody's hands like that before. So he gets tossed out of the game. And almost immediately later on that night is the news that he gets suspended 10 games, and that's because of this. I mean, it happened with, if you remember Michael Pineda with the pine tar in his neck uh, with the Yankees against the... No, no, it's um, dirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, against the Red Sox some years back. Yeah, that was the thing. So I remember this. So when he... Went, so the umpires told him to go wash his hands because they felt sticky. And then when they go back out there and check them again, it felt even worse. So, I mean, you were on in real time as this happened. What were you thinking about all of this? I thought that was the umpires kind of like enforcing their power just for the sake of, you know, um, putting on a show. But, you know, at the same time, if it's really just rosin, then then that definitely seems very fishy now. Yeah. And if there, you know, you heard Scherzer after the game saying that he would swear on his kids that he that was cheating. pretty stupid. That, that was kind well, of, well, that crazy. no, that to me, that wasn't stupid, but if you're going no, to say that, why are you dropping the appeal? Then? No, but say, I swear on my kid's life. That's kind of, but then why would you drop the appeal? He probably just wanted to, like, get the suspension out of the way because it was only, like, 
10 games, but still, it just makes no sense. It may have been for a show. I don't know. Well, see, and, th- and the, going back to the suspension, though, see, the Mets with an off day, what it really means is he misses one start because they had an off day on Monday. So if you if you want him to miss multiple starts, he's really he's technically he's really not because they could line it up where he could come back and miss only one start through this. But Scherzer's also been down this road before too, which is another angle to all of this. Oh well, yeah, with the Nationals when Joe Girardi had him uh, had had the umpires take a look at him. Yeah, and you know Scherzer. And the other another angle you could bring to this too is. You know, since late last year, Scherzer has not been pitching well. And was there maybe a reason that he wanted to get an advantage? You know, you're going out there in L.A., taking on a Dodgers team. You know, it's not hot out there in Los Angeles. You know, it's not like it's 90 degrees. You know, their hot time of the year isn't usually until about September or October. So it's not like it's 100 degrees out in Los Angeles. So that's another angle into all of this conversation, too. But if, you know, you're adamant, if you are post-game and you're so adamant that this is happening and then you decide to drop the appeal because maybe you're only missing one start at the end of the day, that's kind of fishy in all this as well. Yeah, it's it's all really strange when you really look at it all. But I feel like this whole thing wouldn't even be a conversation if not for Yeah, one, Johnny. One, one part. There he is. We we were going to save you. We were going to try and get through one baseball story without bringing you up, but can't help it. Nope, it had to be done. And we will get to you in just a few minutes, Mister Manfred. But let's talk about a cool story in baseball that broke on Tuesday. How about the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have been one of the best stories in baseball in the first month of the season? And there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years about. Their outfielder, Brian Reynolds, you know, as Yankee fans, we've been hearing about them rumored to get Brian Reynolds for a while. And the news broke on Tuesday that the Pirates extended him for eight years and over $100 million. I think it's $106 million to be exact. And the cool thing about this, Hank, not only – to me, there's, there's a couple of things I love about this. Number one, the Pirates extending their own player. You know, we saw that last year. They did that with uh, – Keon- Key Brian Hayes, the third baseman. It was a $90 million extension. Now they extend Brian Reynolds for over $100 million for eight years. And the Pirates have been one of the best stories in baseball. You know, they were 14 and seven, seven game winning streak. I mean, their pitching's been outstanding. You know, they've got pretty good lineup. NL Central, you know, I, I didn't think of the NL Central as being a strong division going into the season, but still, I mean, this is one of the best stories in baseball to start, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a great day for the Pittsburgh Pirates because you now have two young, two star guys who could potentially be stars on your young core, and they could be locked up for a good amount of time to come. And it looks like the Pirates are really trying to build up a solid team. There, it's early in the season, but they're definitely turning things around thus far in the season. Now, how are they going to build on this? Off this, who knows? But I like this move by the Pirates because it signifies that to the fans that they're committed to trying to put a winning product. And by doing so, you kind of have to lock up your stars for a good amount of time. That's just how it is 
in this day and age. I mean, just look at what the Braves are doing and how they've been locking up a lot of their young talent over the course of many years. Absolutely. No, that that's that's how it gets done. And a fun fact, and I know I I I spoke to you about this before we started here today. Now that the Pirates have uh, extended Brian Reynolds for the hundred plus million dollar contract, the hundred just under one hundred seven million to be exact, there are now only three teams in baseball who have never signed a player to a hundred million dollar contract, and that was the Oakland A's while they're still in Oakland, the Kansas City Royals, and the Chicago White Sox. That makes sense. You have two small market teams in there, and then you have a third one that's owned by arguably one of the most notorious cheapskates in, well, not really baseball, but sports history. I mean, look at what he did with the Bulls. That tells you all you need now. Interesting thing is, you know, in the 21st century, two of those three teams have won a World Series. Yeah, that's it's crazy, isn't it? But um, speaking of the one team that didn't win the World Series, I think we got to talk about them because you know I've got a lot to say about them. And I wrote nice. an There's a nice transition, absolutely. So, first of all, the Oakland A's did purchase land in Las Vegas for a new ballpark. So, this is a 49 acres of land in Vegas, which they are planning to utilize as the site of their their new future ballpark. And they were looking to finalize a stadium deal by the 2024 deadline, January 2024 deadline imposed by Major League Baseball, and. Yeah, Hank, you had a great article, a great post about this on etbpodcast.com. I mean, the floor is yours. What do you think about all this? It's, I think a lot of it is really, it's a real messy, messy situation with regards to the city of Oakland. I mean, look, I guess I could be happy for those in Vegas that are happy to be finally having a major league baseball team. I wouldn't say potentially, but I mean, it's pretty much going to be a done deal as soon as they dig that shovel into the ground when they build that new stadium. But I I can't help but feel bad for the city of Oakland because they have had their team. If I'm not mistaken, I think Oakland's now had the A's for one year longer than Philadelphia. Because remember, they started in Philly, they moved to Kansas City, and they've been in Oakland since 1968. And by the way, fun fact, I believe they will be the first major league team to have played in four different cities. Yeah. So the A's called Oakland home since 1968 after playing in Kansas city from 55 through 67. The franchise originated in Philadelphia in 1901 before it was moved to Kansas city and then Oakland. Yeah. So getting back to the A's on the surface, it seems like, you know, Oakland's all second banana to San Francisco in terms of like sports cities and like where the fan support is. But believe it or not, like even like after they had that dynasty in the 70s where they won three in a row with Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, Bloom, uh, Vita Blue, to name a few, and Raleigh Fingers, like they actually started to get better with fan support a little bit shortly thereafter. And I think the best thing that could have happened to them. And I mentioned this in my article was when the Raiders moved to Los Angeles, because they had the Coliseum to themselves. And if you look at pictures of the Coliseum, you had that beautiful view in center field of like the Hills and whatnot and like the Bay area. But then 
once the Raiders moved back, then you had that eyesore known as Mount Davis blocking out that view. And personally, I think that was really the beginning, the start of the beginning of the end for Oakland Coliseum because, look, nobody is going to argue that they needed to move out of the Coliseum. I mean, there's a reason the Raiders also moved out and went to Las Vegas after so many years of Al Davis and eventually his son Mark wanting their stadium to call their own place home and wanting a place all to themselves. But the stadium was never properly taken care of and maintained. I mean, let's look at a lot of the issues that they had. They had mold. They had sewage problems. I remember staying up late for a Yankee game and they had to stop it for like maybe a good half hour at least. I don't remember exactly, but there was a power failure during in the stadium. And so they couldn't even play. And imagine being a Yankee fan and staying up to watch that game too. But I digress. You had the sewage problems. You had like clogged toilets. And let me talk about the two most recent issues at Oakland Coliseum. And I swear you can't make this shit up. You had a possum infestation in the visitors broadcast booth. So they had to move yeah, Gary, Gary Keith and Ron, yeah. Ron to elsewhere in order to broadcast an Oakland A's game. And then to top it all off, you also had issues of broken seats. And someone sent a tweet where they had to duct tape part of the stadium. Like, You, like I don't know how you own you have all that money and you can't even make the necessary renovation to a place that's been that's had a lot of baseball for over fifty years. The only stadiums I think that are older than than Oakland are um, Fenway, Dodger Stadium, and Wrigley, and actually Angel Stadium is too because at least Angel Stadium got the necessary renovations. And so it's obvious that that they need a new ballpark. Nobody was going to argue that. However, there were a few roadblocks. Number one, recall years back that they wanted to move to San Jose, but the Giants held hold the territorial rights and told them, no, you can't move there. And I think it was definitely over money reasons. But you I, you can't really blame the Giants there as much because I'm going to get to the, the reason why. And it has a lot to do with the ownership, spoiler alert. And then, of course, the main problem was there was the Howard Terminal Project, which would have gotten them a beautiful new ballpark in Jack London Square, which is pretty much in downtown, the downtown city of Oakland. And it would have been by the waterfront, which is kind of similar to what the Giants have with uh, AT&T Park. However, there was one big issue with that. And that's that John Fisher, or and pretty much the entire A's management, proposed the idea to the politicians and, and the mayor of Oakland there was no way they were going to go for that idea. And that's for a simple reason. If you do your research about Oakland, they have had a lot of economic problems, problems with housing and homelessness. And, you know, it, there, there's a reason why the city's in bad shape. They're not going to, um, they're not going to screw a lot of taxpaying citizens out and make their whole economy worse just over a wealthy man's desire for a new ballpark. So 
if you're going to blame the politicians for kicking them out, for not helping them out, and if you're going to blame the fans for not showing up to all those games for like the, a good majority of the past five years, then you are not paying attention to what has been going on. Because let's talk about the ownership. Every single, most of these, the, the different ownership groups that have been running the A's, or a good amount of the past few groups, they have been focused more on trying to, you know, keep the bottom line intact. You don't see them really intent on building a championship team. And whenever, and here's the cycle they have, they'll develop a really good farm system. They have a lot of talent, but then eventually these guys are going to have to get paid and they're not willing to pay the Jason Giambis, the Josh Donaldson's, so to speak, or even let's talk about the big three of Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, and uh, Tim Hudson. Two of those guys went on to star and become really good elsewhere. Tim Hudson was good with the Braves for a while. He even won a World Series with the Giants, ironically. And Barry Zito did the same thing. He, While that contract didn't look good for the Giants, he ended up winning multiple World Series championships for them. So I don't know how, as a fan, you really can put up with ownership like, being willing to build the team, but then just not paying your talent and letting all your uh, guys go, because it means you can't really become, you can't really form a favorite with like some of those like great players that they develop. You know what I'm saying? So in my opinion, A's fans for all those years were loyal to a fault. And if you look at the numbers, when Oakland Coliseum was nice and when the giants were stuck at candlestick, the A's outdrew the giants for the majority of, of those years. So don't tell me that Oakland, was never like a bad baseball area. And if you look at pictures of the A's games from the 2012 playoffs, look how crazy those fans were. Absolutely. They were packing up the place. You would hear all those loud drums and vuvuzelas. Like I would argue that Oakland had one of the best playoff atmospheres out of a lot of baseball stadiums. But the problem was ownership was not willing to spend the necessary money to build the team. And John Fisher is one of the top five richest owners in baseball. He has a net worth of like $2.8 billion. He could have built a new stadium in Oakland for himself if he wanted to. But he decided, oh, I don't want to pay for it. So let's, um, let's rely on uh, the politicians to screw out taxpayers. Never a good thing. He is a typical example of what a lot of these greedy owners are like. And I understand that that whole thing was 12 million, but 12 billion or something like that. But you forget that the MLB is a revenue sharing system. He could have gone up to say Bob nutting and say, Hey, Hey Bob, old buddy, old pal, can you lend me a good amount of money? I need a new stadium. And um, we know you're in the revenue sharing. So I think you could definitely help me out here. He could have gone to maybe the Red Sox owners or whatnot, but no, he really didn't care about the fans. And if you look at the, the, some of the years where they were bad and they were trying to rebuild their team, they had a phrase called rooted in Oakland, which by the way, is an oxymoron considering we just told you that they started out in Philadelphia. Um, that proved to be a big lie. And then let's not forget their president, Dave Cavall was at a Vegas golden Knights game. And he tweeted being there while the A's were playing a game. 
optics I'm of that, sorry, right? But ownership is to blame. They took 50 plus years of history and loyal fans fan support and said, oh, to hell with it. I got a boner for Las Vegas. It looks nice and shiny. Let's go build a ballpark there. We got a lot of tourists who can come to those games. They can gamble. We'll get the money. And now we can spend it and build a nice team there, just like we didn't want to do in Oakland. Corporatism at its finest. And hence why the A's have been one of those three teams in baseball that have not signed a player to a $100 million contract. Essentially what John Fisher did, too, was – he basically made like uh, the Cleveland Indians. I don't know if you've seen Major League, but you know how their owner like basically created the worst team possible and she charged everyone, charged the fans more to go in. That's essentially yeah. what he did. He took away all the season ticket member perks. He jacked up the prices for tickets and parking and whatnot and made the product as unattractive as possible so that he could create fan apathy so he wouldn't really have a lot of backlash. Yeah. And the vague, I mean, the other reason why I'd say Vegas was inevitable for them, Hank, was not only all of this, but look at what's, what Vegas has had in a 10-year period. So here's what well, they were, they've added. Eventually the A's, the Las Vegas Aces, the, the, you know, the, the WNBA team, mm-hmm. the Raiders, the Desert Dogs, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Pro Bowl, a Super Bowl, an NFL draft, a Final Four, a Formula One Grand Prix, and a college football playoff national championship. Well, I would say that the Knights are really the beginning of the whole butterfly effect because, Mm -hmm. but the only reason I put it five when I kind of revived top five reasons you can't blame, which was one of my old favorite shows on ESPN. Absolutely. Great show. I only put that at five because I think they probably would have moved elsewhere if say there never was a Vegas Golden Knights, but because it was, it's very much in involved in the whole story and because I think the night success really was like a whole butterfly effect for, for pro sports in that city. It had to be but, talked about. Yeah. But, and it also, and it also feels like it's a domino effect though. Right. I mean, can you see in yeah. another like five to 10 years that you could see an NBA team going there too? If the NBA decides to expand, I mean, they've got a WNBA team now there. So, I mean, the only, the only thing they don't have right now is a pro NBA team. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, they're they're going to get a they got an NFL draft. They're going to have a Super Bowl there, with uh, you know with Allegiant Stadium. You know, they had the college football playoff national championship. So I mean, it's just it's a matter of time. And again, it almost goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the sh- of the show with the with the Lions and the Washington Commanders player with the whole gambling angle. It's just gambling has taken over sports and the world in general. So why not put you know put it in the heart of of gambling in Las Vegas? It seems like, mm-hmm. but. There's one other angle to the story, too, that we'll wrap up the episode on. And that, of course, is good old Rob Manfred, because, you know, he had to talk about this, too. And he said that he's sorry for the fans in Oakland about the A's plans to relocate to Vegas, but also that the A's will be um, will be competitive there. Now, Hank can say that he feels sorry and he means it and shows some compassion. This great commissioner, I don't know, Hank, and it looks like you want to go off on him. So, you know, I'm I'm used to ranting about him, but you can have the floor. Again, I wanted Nick to play this song, but you know what? I'm going to sing it myself with regards to Rob Manfred. 
why the fuck you lie and why you always lie and oh my god stop fucking lying and that's pretty much all rob manford really knows how to do at this point it seems now but lie ruin the sport not promote it i mean hank you're i mean i said this hank think about this i mean i talk about promoting the sport last last tuesday the yankees were taking on the angels at the stadium right now, yeah, and it's you had Judge Otani, and right, you had Judge Otani and Trout, the last three AL MVP winners playing there at the ballpark, and the only the only thing that the only thing that was really promoting it was MLB Network. Now, maybe at the same time, you know, it also didn't turn out well that they played there on the same night that you had a Ranger and a Nick playoff game, but nevertheless, I mean, you're supposed to be a baseball town; you got to promote that. Yeah, not. Not a good look there, Mr. Manfred. It's, and, look, uh, it's not been a good start to the year because, you know, you've had now this, you've had that. You've had the story of how baseball stadiums are trying to expand their beer sales into the eighth inning or later because the games are going by too quick because they want more money. Of course, that should be a safety thing. That's because Manfred wanted the pitch clock, which was inevitable, and that's not really an issue. But now when it becomes a safety issue, that's when it becomes an issue. But the sport's just like it's still damaged goods. Like, you know what? I'm to say sorry for Oakland. Do you know what I call that? I call like, that a, I call that an FU apology. I was going to say, it sounds like an FU apology, pretty much. That's right? exactly what it is. Because he basically said, oh, we're sorry you lost your team, but you didn't really do a good job of support. Well, again, like I was saying, no shit you pretty much didn't get support because the owner was literally going out of his way to turn them into a bad team so that them moving wouldn't be a big deal. So they're pretty much the West Coast Marlins. Uh, Worse. I would say worse. Yeah. Worse, because at least the Marlins have a shiny new ballpark. The A's were stuck at a decrepit stadium for so long. Like, and by the way, can I make another comparison here? Yeah. That I talked about in the article. And You know how I mentioned the Giants were stuck at Candlestick Park for nearly 40 years, like how it was notorious for having the win and it was built like far, far away from the city near like the water where like the wind blew like notoriously. Mm -hmm. Peter McGowan did the exact opposite of what John Fisher did when he owned the Giants. He, he not only saved them from moving to Tampa, he paid a shit ton of money to keep them. And then he also went out of his way. He put, he spent money out of his own pocket to build 18. What what's now called the Oracle park. Mm-hmm. And we also know about Manfred's mess in the, in the Tampa situation. You were saying that. Oh yeah. No, and that... we'll see. If, and then he was, we were also talking about several cities beginning planning for potential bids to add teams uh, Nashville, T- Charlotte, Montreal, Portland, Salt Lake City. We'll see. Well, I mean, hey, hopefully Montreal gets a fair shake back. I mean, I Bud Selig pretty much screwed them just as badly as Mon- Rob Manfred kind of sort of helped screw the A's. Well, well so then are we going to have another situation with Tampa? That, in fact, gonna that have- was the last team that moved. Montreal to Washington, yeah. But 
Is that going to happen with Tampa though? Is Tampa going to have to relocate, or are they going, or what's going to happen with them? I mean, I hope they get a stadium in downtown Tampa because I've talked to Garth, and you 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 know Garth's a diehard Tampa sports fan. Diehard Tampa and sports fan. Yep. You put a stadium in downtown Tampa. There's no doubt in my mind that they can get a lot of fan support. I mean, just look at the fact that you have a hockey team that's doing well there for crying out loud. Yep. The baseball team does more with less the baseball team does more with less than any other than you could pretty much see any other team in sports. If you're, if you're baseball. telling me that your baseball team is just as is often competitive on a yearly basis with more than less, and you can barely like get a good amount of people there. That tells me more so about the fact that it's in a poor location and that the stadium itself is probably probably just as bad as Oakland Coliseum. Well, that's that's why I just thought about bringing that up. I mean, that that's going to be the next one we're going to be talking about here probably down the road. I don't think of Nashville as a relocation. I think of Nashville as an expansion city. Yeah, I would agree. And Nashville would probably I – th- I could see Nashville succeeding baseball-wise. Mm-hmm. I think Charlotte would succeed too. You know, Charlotte is a very underrated sports city. Mm-hmm. So think, look at it them. I don't see the Salt Lake City angle. I mean, that was brought up last week or the week before. I'm not sure about the Salt Lake City angle out west. But you're gonna need a you're gonna need a spot to balance. I could see Portland, Oregon, more than I could see Salt Lake City. Portland, that would be intriguing. I think for travel purposes, it almost would make more sense. You stay out on the on that west on that uh, left coast. It almost would make more sense. The Mariners a built-in rival. Yeah, I mean you, that's one of the things too. When you do these expansions, you have to talk about travel. You have to think about the travel angle too. And you know, Mariners, I would consider myself kind of an av geek too. And I can tell you, I think it's more. It makes more sense to go to Portland than it would be to Salt Lake City. Yes. Because Salt Lake City, I mean, you could still be dealing with snow in April in Utah. Mm. But More country. Yeah. And then you'd be talking about doubleheaders and triple uh, doubleheaders and playing games later in the season, and that'd be create a whole new mess for baseball. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, the, the Manfred thing, I mean, it's just – it doesn't – it never ends with him. It's, it's, it's always something. You know, it's, it's, it's either good old Rob Manfred – or it's an Adam Silver slip up. Tell you what though, Silver, you got by clean this week by some miracle. Yep, but we'll see. But tell you what, Hank, that's going to put a wrap on the episode for this week. Pushing almost two hours this week, but that's what happens when you have so much to talk about. But it's going to be fun next few weeks. Hopefully, the Rangers and our Knicks both make deep runs into let's say May and dare I say beyond. But uh, mm-hmm. We've got a lot coming up here over the next couple of weeks, including this week. You know, the NFL draft happening on Thursday. That's just about a little, about 24 hours from the premiere here. And mm-hmm. uh, I will be joining Nick and Tom and possibly Zan and a few other uh, surprise guests along the way. Now, our draft show Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern mm-hmm. on the NC Bench Podcast Network. Very likely going to start earlier to get. Nick's fresh events about the Jets out of the way. So, again, the best thing to do is to follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB, on Instagram at Game on underscore ETB, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash ETB Network. If you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit that subscribe button, and, of course, have your notifications set so you know when we're going to be on next. So that's what's going on. 
Uh, of course, our website, etbpodcast.com, where you can check out great articles like Hank's piece on the Oakland A's stadium situation uh, at moving to Las Vegas. It's a great read, so check that out as well. So, Hank, good to see you. Good to be back at it together. Uh, I know uh, my schedule's been nuts. I know your schedule's been nuts. I don't know if it's ever going to get any better. But, uh, look, we made it through today, and that's what counts, and we'll see what happens next week. I guess we'll leave p- people in a nice mystery for next week to see we're back together again next week. <laughs> oh, hopefully we get a boat and set a mystery box. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So have a great rest of your week, and let's go Rangers and Knicks. Absolutely there and here. So for Hank and Dichter, I'm Johnny Montabano. I'll see you on Thursday with Nick and Tom for the NFL draft. And Hank and I will be back together again for episode 52 of Game On next week.